the Louisiana Swamplands. Out here, you're either lunch or you're enjoying it. Make sure you end up on top with the all-powerful lineup of Kia SUVs, like the Telluride, Sportage, and Sorento, equipped with available all-wheel drive, higher ground clearance, and the interior capacity to bring everything you need. So you'll always remain more than a gator's length ahead. Visit your local Kia dealer today to find your next adventure in our ever-capable lineup of SUVs. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Single Cell World, the podcast for scientists in which we disentangle single cell technology. Here, frustration and failure are transformed into clarity and understanding. I am Katia Motinho, and in this podcast, I want to share with you my experience in single cell research. How? In the form of useful advices that you can use in the lab after each episode. Ready to learn? Let's start. Hi, everyone. Today, I will talk about terminology, terms that we use a lot in single cell research field. These terms, they can be applied in other research areas, and sometimes they can have a different meaning. And these can lead to a miscommunication and can be a problem at the hour of planning experiments and projects. I only realized that there is a lot of terms when I start doing a list while preparing this podcast and also the blog post that will be released next Thursday. Since there are a lot of terms, I choose the ones that are more general, that uh, you will listen independently of the experiment that we'll do, the technology that you will use. And not to be boring, <laughs> uh, I will not just say the definition of the terms, but I will give you examples, I will do analogies, and I will try my best to use simple language. If you are an expert on the field of single cell, maybe this episode is not for you. Or maybe it is. Maybe you will get ideas on how to explain concepts that we are using daily base in an easy way. My goal today is to explain key terms that people that are not experts on the field must understand when they are discussing their single cell experiment. To use the terms in the right context, let's imagine that we are discussing a single cell project. One of the first things that I will ask you is, what is your goal with a single cell experiment? What do you want to study? What do you expect to see? Depending on your answer, I can suggest you different types of experiments. The most frequent is to see gene expression. Before working single cell, when someone mentioned gene expression, my mind automatically was thinking in protein, not in RNA, unless there was no antibody to see the protein expression of that gene. And in that case, we will check the mRNA. In single cell, when we say that we will see gene expression, normally, most part of the cases, we are referring to messenger RNA. If your goal is to study epigenetics, I will ask you what layer of epigenetics are you interested in? DNA methylation, histone modifications, chromatin accessibility. Why? Because a lot of times I listen to people saying that, yes, we will do epigenetic uh, single cell study. And what they really do is a single cell ataxic. Ataxic stands for assay for transposase accessible chromatin with high throughput sequencing. The transposase is an enzyme that cuts regions of the chromatin that are accessible. These are regions where the DNA is not wrapped around proteins, so the DNA is not protected and can be accessible by these enzymes. Sometimes we call to this type of DNA naked DNA. 
single cell ataxy it allows us to see what regions of the chromatin are accessible. Accessible to what? To proteins that are responsible of passing the information that is in the DNA to mRNA. So why people, when they talk about an epigenetic single cell experiment, they are referring to single cell ataxic? Because it's the only epigenetic assay that in single cell is commercialized in the format of a kit. In the case you want to study other layers of epigenetic, like DNA methylation, there are protocols that were developed. You will need to implement the protocols that are already published in your lab. What about if you want to study different layers of information for the same cell? For example, mRNA and protein, mRNA and chromatin accessibility. This is possible, and these experiments are called single-cell multiomic experiments. Again, here, if someone suggests you a multiomic single-cell experiment, ask what layers of information we'll be able to study. The next question for you, it will be if you have preliminary data, if you did a bulk experiment that gives you an idea if your hypothesis it will be correct or not. A bulk experiment is a standard experiment, for example, Western blood, real-time PCR, where we analyze a bunch of cells that are together in one tube. And the result of this type of experiment will always be the average of what is going on in all the cells that we are analyzing. For example, let's imagine that we are looking at expression of gene A. We will be able to know if uh, those cells are expressing it or not, but we will not be able to know the amount of gene A expression for each individual cell. This we will only get if we do a single cell experiment. If one day you listen that someone did a mini bulk experiment, it means that it was a standard experiment, but the amount of cells was very low, normally from 2 cells until 100 cells. Let's talk now about your samples. How will be your samples? It will be a fresh sample, it will be a snap frozen sample or cryopreserved. Fresh sample is a sample that you will get from the source and you will not preserve in anything. So you will just do the experiment right away. Snap frozen means that is a sample, a piece of tissue or even cell suspension that we just put directly in liquid nitrogen or in dry ice. A cryopreserved sample is a sample that is stored at liquid nitrogen but in a specific storage buffer. For example, 10% of the MSO with 90% of FPS, fetal bovine serum. This is an example of a cryopreservation medium that we can use for single cell experiments. Right now, some single cell companies offer us the possibility for us to fix the cells. But pay attention here because the fixation of the cells needs to be done properly accordingly to the type of technology. And fixed cells are not usable for all kinds of technology, of single cell technology. In the case of fresh or cryopreserved samples, the probability of us to get intact cells, viable cells, is higher than when we are working with snap frozen or fixed cells. It's true that always depends on the type of tissue that we are working with. For example, if we are working with blood, here the probability it will be higher than if we are working with a solid tissue where we have to do a dissociation of the tissue to get cells in suspension. That is what we need for a single cell experiment. Something that we must know before we do a single cell experiment is the cell viability. What will be the percentage of cells that are alive in a single cell suspension that we will use for the experiment? In case the cell viability of your sample is very low, there are different approaches where we can try to clean the sample and remove the dead cells. But this will be something that I will be talking in other episodes. Today, what I want you to know is that it's really important for you to see the cell viability of your samples. 
Other thing that is important is to know the percentage of cells that you are interested in study on your cell population. You may be interested in 100% of your cell population, meaning you want to know all the cell types that are constituting your cell population, or maybe you are just interested in a specific cell type. The question now is to know what is the percentage of this cell type in your cell population. If it is less than 30%, I will recommend you to do an enrichment. What is this? Enrichment means a press selection of the cell type that you want to study. Why is this important? Because if you are interested in only 30% of the cells, 30% of the information that you will get at the end, it means that you are losing money since the 70% of the information that you will get, you will discard. So this is why it's so important to do enrichment and just analyze the cells that you are interested in. What about in the case that you don't have enough cells to do a single cell experiment? In the ideal world, we would like to start the single cell experiment with 1 million cells. Okay, we can reduce it to alpha million, but if it's less than that, sometimes it's complicated, depending always on the technology that we are using. One way that we can use to increase the number of cells or even to reduce costs of the experiments is to pull samples. What does it mean? It means that we have different individual samples that we will pull or mix together in one tube, and these will be one complex sample. One example is when we are working with mice, and from one mouse we cannot get enough cells to do a single cell experiment. In this case, we can mix three different mouse samples in one tube, and this will be one sample for the single cell experiment. Attention here, because in case we need to have the correspondence between a cell and the individual sample of origin, if it comes from mice 1, 2 or 3, we need obligatory to do a multiplex approach. Multiplexing, or a multiplex approach, is the process of mixing individual samples, but here the cells were previously labeled with a specific molecular tag. I will still continue with the example of the mice. In this case of multiplexing, we will not just pull the three mice samples, but for the mouse number one, we will put a tag that will be tag A. For the mouse number two, we will put a tag B. For the three, we will put a tag C. Like this, in the analysis, we know that all the cells with the tag A will belong to mouse number one. Tag B, mouse number two. Tag C, mouse number three. And like this, we establish a direct correspondence between the cell and the sample of origin. There are different ways to put these tags on the cells. One way is using ashing antibodies. Here we use antibodies that are conjugated with a tag that is oligonucleotides, and we incubate these antibodies with the cells. These antibodies are against highly expressed surface proteins and like this we will be able to tag the cells. Other way is using lipids. These lipids will also be conjugated with oligonucleotide that will be the tag. And here the same, we incubate our cells with these lipids and they will enter inside the cell and they will tag our cells. Other type of text that we can use and that sometimes we already have it inside our cells is in the case that here the three mouse, their genetic background, it will be different until the point that will allow us to distinguish each sample. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Independently of the sample type, we must use low binding tubes. These tubes are made of a special material, normally are made of polypropylene or polycarbonate. They were designed to reduce the amount of sample sticking to the walls of the tube. This happens because they are coated with a surface that reduces the sample binding. So our cells will not get stick to the wall of the tube and like these, we will not lose cells. If you were surprised when I mentioned that ideally we should have 1 million cells to do a single cell sequencing experiment, let me explain you why. The truth is that we will lose a lot of cells during our experiment. A simple example will be the centrifugations. Every time that we centrifuge, we will lose some cells. Other point where we will lose cells is when we have our cell suspension and we will do the isolation of each individual cell. The isolation of individual cells can also be called capture. Depending on the technology, we can lose more or less cells. So the capture rate can be different. In general, it ranges from 20 to 90%. This means that if we start with 1 million, we will only be able to isolate between 20 and 90%. We lose cells. Maybe now you are thinking, okay, if I already know that I will lose cells in this step of the process, if I load more, more than 1 million, I will have more cells that will be captured. Yes, but we shouldn't do it. Why? Because when we increase the amount of cells that we start a protocol, it will increase also the probability of two cells to stick together, two or more. And then in the analysis, we'll need to discard these cells. This is what we call doublet. Besides the doublets, we can also have singlets. Singlets is just one individual cell, or we can have multiplet. These are more than two cells that come together. After the capture of our cells, there will be different cycles of amplification of the material of each individual cell. And these cells that are sticking together, they will be processed as one individual cell. During this process, there will be some cells for which the information will be lost. So the number of cells that we capture, the capture rate, will be not the same as the number of cells that we have to analyze at the end of the experiment, simplifying the cells that we recover. The amount of cells that we will be able to identify or recover from one sample during the data analysis is called cell recovery or efficiency rate or cell recovery efficiency. This rate depends again on the used technology, but generally ranges from 50 to 95%. As you can see, it's completely normal to lose cells during a single cell sequencing experiment. Let's talk now about how we label our cells. Each single cell will be labeled with a specific barcode. This is a unique identifier assigned to each single cell. And it's used, of course, to track and trace individual cells through our analysis process. This barcode composition, it will depend on the technology that we are using, but it always includes an UMI. UMI, what is this? A unique molecular identifier. And this is a short sequence of nucleotides to identify each molecule that we are analyzing from one cell. And they allow us, of course, to accurately measure the amount of gene expression in each cell, in case we are seeing mRNA. By using it, we can tell the difference between the molecules that come from the same cell. One of the game changers on single cell research field was the appearance of next generation sequencing. First, I will explain what is sequencing. Sequencing is a process where we determine the precise order of nucleotides within a DNA, cDNA, or RNA molecule. And this is done by reading the sequence of the nucleotides, usually from one end of the molecule to the other. Next-generation sequencing is a type of sequencing technology that allows us a rapid sequencing of large amount of DNA or cDNA. It is much faster and less expensive than the traditional sequencing process that is called Sanger sequencing. And this was the essential 
to uh, do single cell sequencing experiments in high throughput. In the same experiment, we can get information of a lot of cells. At the end of a single cell sequencing protocol, we will have libraries. What is this? No, libraries here is not the place where we have books. This was what I thought the first time that I heard about libraries at the lab. In this case, are sequencing libraries or next-generation sequencing libraries. And this is a collection of similar-sized DNA fragments. We get them because we fragment the cDNA or the DNA before we put the adapters. Known sequences that were added in the extremities of these fragments. Basically, there are two kinds of libraries. The ones that come from genomic DNA and the ones that come from cDNA. The libraries will be then read by the sequencer machine. The adapters that we put on our fragments that are in the library are kind of a signal for the machine to know where it needs to start reading. When the sequencer machine stops reading, we will have the reads. In the case of next generation sequencing, we have short reads because we have short fragments that usually it's around 50 to 300 base pairs. When we are calculating the cost of a single cell sequencing experiment, we need always to count with the sequencing cost. The sequencing cost increases with the amount of reads that we will need per cell. Depending on the technology, but for me it depends more on the type of cells that you are studying, you will need more or less reads. In general terms, it goes from 20,000 reads until 50,000 reads per cell. When do we have the reads, what do we do? The reads are like fragments of a big text. So we will need to put them together, but in a certain order for the text to make sense. How do we do this? We will have the help of a reference map. I compare a reference map to a Google Maps, where the read is our address. So we will look on this reference map where is localized our read. And we will get the coordinates. But here, it will not be the coordinates on the world, but it will be the coordinates on the genome. And like this, we will identify where it belongs our read, to what gene belongs this read. And we do this with all the reads. It's like this that we can identify what genes are being expressed. Other name for reference map is reference genome. And in a more scientific language, a reference map or reference genome is a graphical representation of the genetic sequence of a particular organism. This is also important because if we are working with human samples, of course, we will need to look for our reads in the human reference genome. This will be our Google map. If we look in the mice reference genome, we will not find any and we will think that our experiment failed. Believe me, this happens. The process of aligning the sequencing reads to a reference genome has a name. It is called mapping. Other two terms related with sequencing that I would like to mention is sequencing coverage and sequencing depth. Sequencing coverage refers to the amount of the genome or transcriptome that was sequenced and normally is expressed in percentage. Of course, we would like our sequencing coverage to be 100%, but this is not possible. Sequencing depth, on the other hand, is a measure of the number of reads obtained for a given sequence or a given gene. Usually, it is expressed as the number of reads generated per base pair. Why is this important? Because the machine can do a mistake while reading. So if the sequencing depth is 10, it means that that base pairs were read 10 times. And this is a lot better than if the machine only read one time. After the mapping and identification of the genes that we will be able to work with, what we can do is to group the cells according to their characteristics. And this is called cluster. Do clustering, grouping the cells that share similar characteristics, such as gene expression levels or morphology. How do we do this? 
there are different ways, different pipelines or different programs or different algorithms to do this. For me, it's still a little bit complicated because I'm a wet lab researcher. I don't do data analysis, but in the next episodes, I will invite someone to explain us in a simple way how these analyses are done. To finish this episode, I would like to tell you that there is a lot of single cell technology out there. And even for the experts, it's difficult to know what is the best technology. I don't believe there is the best. I believe that there is the best for the type of sample that we are using, for the type of a project that we will need to do. So any technology, they have their limitations and their advantages. And in an ideal world, what we should do is a benchmark. In single cell sequencing, benchmarking is the process of assessing how well one method or workflow performs in comparison to other methods or processes that are used in the field. There are some publications about benchmarking single cell. One of them, I'm an author, but of course, this is very difficult when we are in the field that each month there is a new technology, there is a new company. So it's very difficult, also it's very expensive, and it's very difficult to control all the variables that should be controlled. Benchmarking can be done in the wet, for example, comparing similar kits from different companies or in the dry lab, comparing different ways of doing the analysis, different pipelines. My advice for you, get informed about the different technology, about the limitations, about the advantages. Check if there were papers published with that technology that you are thinking on using. Ask for advice, for example, in this platform, the single cell world, or in the Single Cell Ninjas platform that is present on Twitter, or even to some collaborators. Check for their experience, their feedback uh, concerning the use of different technology. This is everything for today. I hope you like it. See you next Monday. And if you have some topic that you would like me to discuss, someone that you like me to interview, just let me know. Thanks for listening to the Single Cell World podcast. If you think it was useful or you learned something new, please spend some seconds rating this podcast on Spotify or leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. It will make me super, super happy. For more tips or advice, follow me in Instagram or Twitter at Single Cell World or simply subscribe our website or blog at www.thesinglecellworld.com. Well, I will wait for you next Monday with a new episode. <laughs>